Welcome back to Always Evolving. And before we get started with the amazing Dr. Drew, I wanted to let you know, you can text me. And if you text me at this phone number, 310-984-1858, I'll sing it to you. 310-984-1858. Text me, say podcast, empowerment tips. And what I'm gonna be doing is sending you some videos that are inspiring. I'm not trying to upsell you. And uh, overall, it's a way for me to connect with you. And I do respond to text messages. So hopefully I hear from you. That's 310-984-1858. Just shoot me a text. Now let's get started with the icon, Dr. Drew. Pleasure to be here. You kind of gave me a look when I said the word icon. You don't that, think that, you are? That, I just think old when you say that. <laughs> <laughs> been too, too long. I know you don't really mean it. You just may even been around a long time. I mean <laughs> that everyone knows who you are. If you, Unless you've been living under a rock, you know who Dr. Drew is. And Which seems weird to me. Seems really weird. And you help bring, you know, kind of mental health and addiction mainstream. And, you know, it's a big achievement. That, that was the goal. You know, there's a whole story, if you want me to tell it, about uh, the, the process of bringing it, some of it to television. I mean, I, I mean, obviously, Loveline was my first little encounter with, uh, you know, public health messaging. And it, it was actually what really compelled me to stay on the radio in 1984 was one Anthony Fauci, who was wow. coaching young physicians to get out there and educate about HIV and AIDS. We didn't even have the term HIV yet. We just were starting to call it AIDS. And uh, that was my sort of first, uh, I knew not what I was doing, but I came to understand that a little bit of humor, a narrative, a relatable source, these are the ways you deliver health messages. And so uh, when they came to me to do Teen Mom, I knew that would work. I knew that would absolutely affect uh, young people's choice making. And it did. Now there are two academic studies that show the higher the viewership, the lower the teen pregnancy. So that's good. And then Celebrity Rehab, which was um, something that I had decided couldn't be done, but I would have loved to have brought it to the public. Uh, and one day, Bob Forrest, you know, the guy with the glasses and the hat mm -hmm. came in my office and he was like, you know, I'm so sick of you were treating a lot of celebrities, but, you know, not exclusively so by any means. But we were seeing our patients in the media being portrayed as on some sort of vacation or making excuses for their behavior. And we were like, they're sick. They're working so hard in their recovery. We need to do a TV show. He says to me, walks in, he sits down on a chair across from me. He goes, we need to do a TV show. We show how hard they work, how difficult this is, how painful it is, how, how sick people can get. And I said, Bob, fun, funny thing. Somebody had approached me and I've been in kind of hiding about it. I, I just... I just don't, I don't know. I wasn't clear it was the right thing to do. And he goes, no, we got to do it. And so that's when I decided to move forward with it. Well, but, but let me rewind a little bit because I, there are a lot of doctors who want to make it in television and media and entertainment. Why, why do you think you were so successful? I have no idea. It started, let's, you got to go to back to the beginning, I guess. So I always had an affinity for being in front of people. I like public speaking. I used to like performing when I was a kid. So I like that. So I'm, I like it. Uh, so I'm drawn to that. Uh, I also get very bored doing the same thing over and over again every day. So I need creativity. I need to be able to do things different. I can't go in the same office every day and be happy. So when, when an, uh, something unusual presents itself to me, I will usually explore it. 
Mm. Uh, no blueprints. I've never had a blueprint. I don't know what I'm doing. I still don't know what I'm doing. Um, but I was thinking recently that particularly when I was younger, I just said yes to everything. If somebody said, you want to try this? I go, right, check it out. Let's go see uh, and see if I can turn it into something that I can feel good about or that's worthwhile. But I, I never, I never stood back and went, oh, oh, wait a minute here. That's, you're not, you're affecting my brand or, or that's not my plan or anything like that mm. ever. It was always, uh, you know, we've been doing radio for 10 years and a couple of television producers showed up and I was like, what's, how do you do a TV show? I don't know. What is that a good, um, should we do that? I spoke okay, I'll, all right, I'll follow you guys. Let's see what happens. That was MTV. Uh, and the same thing with celebrity rehab, some guys showed up and said, we want to do this thing. I went, it's a great idea. It'll never happen, but let me try to work on it with you. So it's always been doors opening and kind of going in and exploring them. Um, beyond that, I have had a extraordinary clinical experience that almost no physicians are getting anymore, mm. where I worked both in a psychiatric hospital in an intensive care unit, a medical hospital, in a medical hospital, outpatient medical, outpatient psychiatry, inpatient chemical dependency. It's almost like four or five careers that were going simultaneously clinically. So I literally got the, the opportunity to see everything. And not only everything, but we, particularly on the addiction side, developed a reputation for being able to handle the most sick patients, the most polydiagnosed medical psychiatric addiction cases, we got them and we did a good job with them. So I saw extraordinary cases at the same time. And uh, I noticed, you know, what really came home to me was um, I signed up to be on Governor Cuomo's uh, rapid response team for physicians to go into the ICU and treat COVID patients. And they, because I was ready to go, uh, they, they just never called me, but they did do a, a comprehensive interview in preparation for it. And this, this is the part that caught my attention. And they were like, do you know how to do this? I mean, yeah, I know that. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, I've done lots of that. Right? And they're like, really? You're an internist? You're not, a, you're not a pulmonologist? You're an internist and you've done all that? It's like, yeah, I did lots of it. That was back in the day. You could do that. And um, that's what really kind of drove home for me that uh, I've had this kind of crazy clinical experience. And it causes me to see things in a very clear and certain way, very opinionated because of it. But I do see things very clearly and I feel like I have an obligation to download that and share that. So it's mm. another piece. Yeah. I mean, I, and I, and I understand that, you know, my background was I was a chemical dependency counselor and I've owned a treatment center for the past 14 years in West Hollywood. And I come from like kind of the clinical background. Now I'm in the coaching world where it's the wild west. <laughs> None of the, these people are trying to work with people who are depressed or have, yep. you know, major anxiety disorders and it's it's it very odd to me because in the coaching space you can do whatever you want and i see it going on but then suddenly if you've had all this training and you're a licensed clinician you have a lot of regulations as long in the coaching space you just need to not say you're Listen, doing therapy you're 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 i've always said this about chiropractors because i would see these disasters that some a chiropractor was taking care of and you'd, you'd go, oh, my God, if a doctor had done this, it would be they'd be sued in a second. But because it's outside of their field of knowledge, which is mm. general medicine, they're free and clear. They can't expect them to know general medicine. They, they right. aren't trained in it. But the public doesn't understand this. So, uh, yeah, I get what you're feeling. And, and, 
And so I think an important, there's an important sort of educational uh, point here to make, which is that uh, if you're going to hire a coach, which I, I am not against coaching, I understand the discipline of coaching, make sure that that person's had a broad clinical experience, particularly in the area that you want the coaching. And that sound about right? Yeah. And has supervision. Supervision, <laughs> letters after their name are helpful. Right. You know, understand just, what those letters mean. You know. I, yeah. A trend right now is just because they can tap on your forehead doesn't mean that they're going to suddenly release like your past childhood drama. And everyone's into this EFT. And look, I'm, I'm all about a lot of different things. Oh, is EFT in now? Oh, oh it's yeah, so it's funny. A, I've been, it's, it's so great to hear you say it because I've been an EFT advocate for a decade. I really have. I, I had, I was a, a patient in what my, 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 um, therapist had such good boundaries. She wouldn't tell me what she was doing, but my, my, my construct of what was happening was uh, emotionally focused therapy. And I loved it. I thought it was very and listen, Dr. Drew, my forehead has been tapped so many times. I probably have an indent right here <laughs> from all the issues of my past. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the point is very good. I mean, for, for instance, one of the, you know, when coaching started coming on, one of the areas where I encountered a coach was with Jeff Conway. Who is the most sick, opiate, polydiagnosed medical, I mean, catastrophe with a horrible prognosis with doctors enabling and physicians enabling his opiate use, which is why he died. And uh, and a coach shows up and is going to fix him. I'm like, oh, dude, you don't you don't get what you're dealing with here. This is this is profound medical stuff and, and dangerous, dangerous conditions. What um has been the hardest challenge for you being a professional and in media? Because it's interesting. Mm. I, I find that on one hand, everyone goes, mental health should be mainstream. And then on another hand, they're like, you shouldn't be a professional on television and talk right. about it. And I'm like, that's right. What, what, what the hell are you guys talking about? I, I'm so glad you adopt that point of view because he, here's my point of view. I'm a physician. When I get on TV and talk about the heart or the pancreas, it should be no different when I speak about the brain. Right. Now, if there are things that a person doesn't want me to disclose about their heart, pancreas, or brain, of course. But if you hold up a rash on a camera, I can tell you what that rash is. And if somebody's engaged in manic psychosis, I can assess kind of what that is. And I can talk about these things. It's important to talk about them. And it's important to talk about them all in the same way. If you say those things shouldn't be on TV, you are stigmatizing those things. That really makes me angry. Mm. So, uh, I, you know, it's funny. I was on a stream. Uh, it's Healing Minds NOLA. It was, a, it was a New Orleans thing. And I was on with a psychiatrist and he was talking about it. I go, look, I go, the way you guys deal with the medical record is wrong. The psychiatric medical record is protected. Shouldn't be any different. It should be HIPAA, same as all the other medical records. Psychiatric care is, you know, you go to a waiting room, you push a button. Should be the same waiting room as any other kind of medical provider. That's it. Don't make it different. As soon as you make it special and different, you're creating stigma. Mm. So have you, what what has been the challenge for you in this roller coaster of entertainment where so many, you know, patient care, you show up, you got the patient, it may be complex, but you're not dealing with pressures or people trying to get you to say something or oh, not say well, something. Yeah, the, the get you to say stuff. You've been on TV before, I guess. I have, yeah. So, so, yeah, I was naive to that at the beginning and had to get very tough about that. 
Um, but in, in, it's, it's a, when you it's say a strange naive, like, what do you, what do you mean naive? Like what, what, like what? I had like, uh, like, so I answered this saying, okay, I know what people need to hear, but I don't know how to reach them. These people that create television and radio, they know how to do that. So I will ride with them and keep delivering. We called it back in the day, the Gainsburger and the pill philosophy, which is if you want to get a dog to take a pill, you can't hand it the pill, but wrap it in Turkey or Gainsburger. They take the pill. I'm the pill. And by myself, it doesn't deliver much. It just doesn't. But in a right environment, I can kind of slip in information or I can focus narratives and make sense of them for people. So that, that, that's my job. But as you get further and further into it, people will adulterate all kinds of things. And I, I think the biggest example of that was in Celebrity Rehab, where year one, day one, I found producers talking to patients in ways that I blew my mind. I go, I was like, like th these are sick people in treatment. You can't do that. You understand you're going to, this is somebody who's going to decompensate if you do that. Huh? What? I'm just doing my job, which is creating shit storms. That's their job. And I finally had to put my foot down and say, um, and, I, and I had excellent producers. This is not to be critical of them. They were used to doing reality. I just said, look, in treatment for chemical dependency, shit goes down. You don't have to worry about it. Don't do anything more. But but I don't want to see anybody talking to my patients ever again, period, mm -hmm. full stop. Got it. And you've said sick a few times. So when, what's your measure of someone going from sick to well, right? It's a great question. You know, we use the back in my day, we used the, we threw the word sick around quite a bit. And we threw the word crazy around a lot, too, um, because we, we didn't mean it in a pejorative sense. We mean it in sort of making it casual, making it OK, making it almost, you know, lighthearted. Uh, and, and I could see where people could, could uh, be put off by that. So I, I, I have tried not to be that way. Um, I, for me, the fundamental issue is, uh, discomfort, right? Misery and functioning, mm -hmm. right? Those are the two indices that tell us that somebody needs care. Uh, you may come to care because you're not happy and you want to do better, but you're still functioning fine. That's not technically a diagnostic situation until the functioning problem kicks in. Now, my assessment may be the functioning may be coming soon, so we got to get in there, which is a nice thing to get in early. But uh, yeah, it's it's misery meets this inability to function or impaired functioning. And functioning, you know, it's the same thing as we say in addiction medicine, right? It's relationships, worker school, financial situation, legal status, health. If one of those areas of your life is getting impaired, that's an issue. I got you. So you're trying to use the word sick less often. But it comes out from the old days, I it guess. It comes out from the old days. Yeah, at our treatment center, I'm always like, oh, my God. Because sometimes I feel like therapists will say the word sick as a way of also saying they haven't done everything they could with calling referral sources. Like in my world, right? Where I'm like. That sounds interesting. I get that. I get that. Like we need a doctor in here right away. Right, right, right. And, and I get that. And, and, and to be fair, you know, one of the. You know, and I know how we talk about patients behind the scenes. And, right. and if people really stepped into those meetings, that would, it would, you know, we're blowing off steam a lot. There's <laughs> yeah. a lot of humor. There's a lot of stuff that goes on and it should not leak out in any way because right. we got to survive. We got to survive what we're dealing with too, right? For sure. So being as successful as you are, which I say you're very successful, what kind of people do you surround yourself with? I don't think about that very often. I mean, I have, most of my relationships are so stable and have been in place for so long. I was thinking about that a couple of days ago. I was thinking about how 
I'm not somebody that could have moved multiple times. I like I've been in the same house for 20 years. I've been married for 20, you know, how many years to now? We're coming in on 30 or something, or we're 91. Yeah. Uh, and I surround myself with family. I surround myself, you know, Corolla and I still see each other to talk on a daily basis. Dr. Bruce and I talk on a regular basis. And so this sort of Mm, people have always known. Uh, I there is a piece in here that you should be aware of that that I have had my whole career not to worry about and very grateful for, which was having had a manager. So let me just tell you that story really quick, which is that uh, Kennedy from MTV, right? Kennedy was now on Fox News or Fox Business. She used to be the show that followed Loveline. She was on K Rock forever and ever. And I've known Kennedy for literally forever. And uh, she had a manager and his manager, one night she was our guest on the show and her manager showed up. He sort of approached me afterwards. He goes, hey, what are you doing? What do you want to do? I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't want to do anything. I want to be left alone to practice medicine. Just, I, I, just who are you? What do you want? I mean, what, what's going on here? And he kind of kept kind of sending me messages and offering help. And, and he goes, let me just see what I can do. And I, go, I, I don't even know what that means, but on a handshake. OK, let's see. And that's kind of how the TV show happened. Um, and he really orchestrated everything because I kept saying, just leave me alone to practice medicine. Just just make sure it does not interfere with that. And I did that for 25 years. And he is really sort of the architect behind everything. Uh, you know, I, I would go in the doors that he would open. And the latest one was I did a talk show, a AM talk show for six years. And when he had me sit down with the program manager for that, I, I thought he'd lost his mind. I was like, what? why would I, an AM talk, it does not, does not feel like me. I had a great experience, it was really fun. It was really interesting. Um, and he was right, So, he, but he died recently. And so I, I miss him greatly. So you have no manager right now? I, I do have a manager, someone who worked for his company who's known mm. me forever as well. She kind of stepped into that role. Got it. So you, you, yeah, and Adam came on the podcast a few weeks ago. I loved how, he's awesome. I actually yeah. have a lot of similar beliefs about California and uh, everything that's going down. So I could it's see bad. why <laughs> it's so bad. It's it's literally, you know, here in West Hollywood. I mean, you have uh, which has been an LGBT community. You have Rage closed after 40 years. You have five oh, nightclubs. I didn't know that. That's a that's like a that's a iconic monument. I mean, that should have been a big deal. It would be like you passing away. Yeah, I can't believe it. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, it's, it's a bigger deal. Trust me, not many <laughs> as many people would miss it. <laughs> but the thing me. is, everything's kind of shutting down, and um, and we're seeing a huge uptick in terms of people with suicidal ideation. We oh, used to yeah, be about seventy percent chemical big dependency. Time. We've swung to about eighty percent mental health now. Yeah, yeah um, it's crazy. What advice would you give people right now during crazy. the pandemic? Well, I'm not so sure. I'm a great well. Look, if I if I sidestep this, we're in, I guess we're in big trouble. Uh, I've been saying all along. Here, here's why I'm ambivalent. I've been saying all along: take care of yourself, sleep, sleep right, nutrition, sunlight, exercise, get outdoors, get, get the people you you love around you, and keep yeah. great contact under it. All the good, healthy things that, frankly, are all about what recovery is about. Frankly, so it's practice what mutual aid societies tell us to practice. But it has become, if it just the last couple of days, I've been thinking, it has become so grinding and so long, I don't think that's enough anymore. Uh, I, I told somebody this morning, 
I feel like at some point we're just going to go F it. We're just, let's go back to work and see what happens. So, you know, like about two years ago, I met Dr. Phil and I've been on about 40 episodes of Dr. Phil in the last two years. And I came out with a book and it did really well. And so I found myself doing a lot of television and that's what's keeping me in that's LA. Where you, that's where you learned about get you to say stuff. That's, yeah. where, the, that's where you encountered segment producers. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's why I'm asking because you've been around a long time and, and there aren't a lot of people who end up riding the waves of uh, and being, a, I mean, look, in your career, you did, you've done Loveline, Celebrity Rehab, people, you're a leading expert that people call on. Um, and you have not been canceled. So oh, I, they've, I've had multiple canceling procedures. I've had mul I've been canceled multiple times. Yeah, but when I think of a cancellation, I feel like it just never like comes. Well, back. I, see, I, there's nothing. Here's the good news. I, 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 I am, uh, <laughs> I'm uptight, and so, so I, my moral, you know, my moral corridor is quite narrow. So there's not, is not an outlying behavior. There's no me too. There's no, there's nothing that I, like that. That, but people try to cancel me all the time because they don't like things I say. And so what I what I have learned is if you don't like what I say, you, I represent something different to you than who I am. Mm. And my job then is just to keep pushing out there what I know to be the true. Because again, like I've so I'm so clear because of all my clinical experience. I just need to double down on staying out there with the material and the the that stuff will contextualize, settle something. So that's sort of always been my approach, just keep moving forward, keep moving forward. Because because the stories, when I get a canceled story going, it's never the reality. It's always a version that sounds good for cancellation. Is that hard for you at all? Oh, it's incredibly painful. And it used to be, used to be just, oh. I mean, I listen, I remember when Amazon first Put book reviews on their website. And when I would read, Adam and I wrote a book in 1997 or something. And when I read those book reviews, I would be furious and upset and I couldn't get over it and uh, and no ability to respond and hopeless and helpless and, and all those and, good feelings. And a lot of those people never even read the book. They, they they, just, I, I, so the ones I remember to this day, they, they were specific things that were that had read the book. And, okay. I, and I was like, again, you don't understand. You don't. You clearly don't understand what I was saying. And so, um, to to think about where I've come from that to now, I am much. The, the good news on all of the sort of the sort of the social media and the cancel culture, it's made me more resilient. It's made me more tolerant. It's made me more um, perseverant. Um, so there's been some, it's, but it's been very, 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 very painful. I don't want to minimize how awful it's been. It's awful when it happens. It's just unbelievable. Does your wife feel the pain too? What's your wife's name? And Susan, Susan uh, she lately, because she's sort of been more involved. I mean, she was so busy raising triplets that mm. my stuff was sort of on my own. Now she's in with me. She's created all this lovely Zoom, you know, the elements and things. And she's in with me all the time and has produced produces a daily stream. I do. You can see it at three o'clock Pacific. Um, she produces. She's just real involved right now. She's 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 uh, she got a career at it. And I, I love that she likes doing it. So now when there's an attack. Oh man, does she feel it? I mean, she loses it, and uh, and you know she'll, she's going to have to go through the crucible and get used to it too. And I, but I got to imagine it feels good because you're not alone in it, and you have someone to talk to about it. Well, it, 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 yes and no. <laughs> yeah, 
Yes, you're right. It's better not to be alone, but no, because I'm sort of further along in my ability to tolerate it. And so now I have to kind of manage her. She gets really upset. And I remember being like that. Uh, and so we got to bring her along a little bit to, to get some faith that there's another side to this, that you can get through these things. And and when when you first, when this first went on, right, with Amazon reviews or whatever, yeah. did so psychologically, because mm-hmm. you had to have analyzed yourself, why is this really bothering mm-hmm. me? Why does it matter? Mm-hmm. Why, when you say it's painful, do you think it feels painful? Well, a couple of things. One is my entire identity has been so tied up in being not just a physician, but the best physician, the best possible. So when I'm accused of not being the best, I I attack myself. I immediately go to, is that true? What have I done with a full inventory on myself? And then if I find the criticism is unfounded, then I feel wounded and helpless. Mm. Right. The helplessness is a terrible feeling. What well, you can't do anything. You can't you can't respond. You can't you can't do anything. And it's it's a feeling you have to learn to tolerate. But but keep moving forward with because you're not truly helpless. You, it's just you feel helpless now because there's no, you want to go throttle that person or or at least respond in a way that everyone hears you. None of those things are possible. You just got to keep moving forward. Let me, I'm just on this point. I'm just curious because I've also Please. gone on Amazon and looked at the reviews and I'm mm-hmm. like, you know, like people have gone, Dr. Phil's only reason this book is successful. And, you know, people would just say a whole bunch of things, which by the way, it's helpful to have a platform for sure. That's right. It sure is. But in terms of what someone could say back then that actually, because people can say a lot of things, right? Mm-hmm. Some people could say things negative and it just doesn't matter. It's like, whatever, this person's just doing their thing. When you say you remember specific examples with like you and Adam, do you remember? It wasn't, what's always the case, the ones that got through to me were uh, unfair, unfounded and misrepresenting, right? Mm. And that's what what bothers me. If, if, If it's a real criticism and it hits home, I'd be like, Thank you. Yeah, you're right. And I, in fact, I would amplify that and go, you know what? I'm correcting course, but I apologize. You know, I, I, I have no problem learning and growing and changing. And I, that's, that's the nature of clinical practice. And that's what people are learning now. It's why every day our COVID data and our COVID understanding changes because it's we're trying to get to the truth. We are never there. Mm. Um and so it feels, you know, it feels unfair and, and then nothing I can do in response to it. And that, that, again, it's the helplessness that is the most disturbing part of it. If it was, again, if it were something well-founded, I'd, I'd take that away and go, all right, okay, I'll learn from that. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like there's really no justice in it and everyone None. moves everyone moves past it without correcting it. No oh, one goes. Oh, and there's so much shit out there on me that's wrong. It's unbelievable. And, and I just think you have to. You have to learn to accept that. And if somebody cares enough to want the, the truth, they'll ask them. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, it's it's interesting too. like, what do you think is good advice for someone who feels like so, they're going through something unjust and you have a friend who like, for example, you. Right. So yeah. let's say I was friends with you and yeah. I saw that and I knew you were hurt. What would be the best he, thing I could do for you? He, the best thing you could do is coach me up in the moment to, to just just as though I were running a marathon or anything else at an athletic nature that's not going to be done today. It's going to be done in the next three months and you're going to have to keep it up every day. Mm. So I would think in terms of coaching me up to get through the day, keep a positive mental attitude. is really there's nothing you can say to make it better. 
It because it isn't fair. It is unjust. You do feel helpless. That's just it is. Yeah. That's just reality. And and maybe even a little bit of reminder because when here's the thing about brain states. When you're in those brain states, you feel like they're never going to end. And the brain That's state so of helplessness true. is a particularly sort of soupy one. And I think coaching me up that that remember this is going to make you more resilient. I know you feel helpless now. It will pass. Keep doing what you know how to do, and it will you know just just keep focused on what is true. And I think people would benefit from that. Suddenly I got excited that you were having this fantasy of moving out of California. So I kind of just went there. Any advice right now for anyone during this pandemic, now that you mentioned a few days ago, you've been thinking about it, anything you would advise someone? Um, Go back to work. However, however that works, try to create normalcy, Mm -hmm. whatever that means. I think we have to, we have to, it's almost like a mandate. Like I, I don't care what your state is saying. We li- we live in the in a most oppressive government in the United States, which is California. And I'm certain now because the data is flat, because they flattened the curve, so to speak, at the daily case rate, they feel quite vindicated in what they're doing. The cost of what they're doing is too great. Find a way to create normalcy, especially for your kids. Mm. The lack of normalcy is going to have untold effect on the development of these children. We don't know. Create normalcy mitigate, wear your mask, keep your distancing, do those things, but get at it, get at it again. We cannot, we cannot be the, you ever, you ever remember the experiments where they induced the helplessness in dogs? We cannot be the helpless dogs, right? So here's, it's basically, the basic uh, sort of paradigm was uh, a, a uh, two chambers, a dog in one chamber with an electrified floor and the other side was not electrified. They'd electrify the floor, the dog would learn to jump to the other side. Eventually, they put two electrified floors in, and the dog crawls up and runs into a ball and just sits there taking it. Don't take it. Don't take it. We we have to we have to we have to get back engaged in life. We have to. I'm not saying recklessly. I'm not saying don't wear your mask. And I'm don't do not make it a political issue in any way because yeah. it should not be. Our mental mental health and development of our kids depends upon this. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. It's like it's it's extremely <laughs> everything's so politicized. You know, you literally, if, if you have any free thought of any direction, it's suddenly you're this, you're that. And um, tell me, Dr. Drew, what are you most, because you're always creating, you're a very creative guy and interested in a lot of things. Mm. What are you most excited about right now? Uh, and, and it could be your wife, it could be your kids, it could be your work, it could be whatever. Yeah. Well, my wife and I are, are enjoying ourselves, and that's very good. And even in this quarantine, we're, we're good. By the is, way, and just know, after, on that, it sounds so cute that you guys tag team your, with the Zoom. and to, I just love that dynamic. Like, yeah. I want a relationship like that. I, want, I, I, I wish it on you. I, I wish it for you because right. it, it's been great. Uh, and it's so cute. Not perf- it's not, we're not perfect. Neither of us are perfect people. Uh, but but we've certainly had it work for you know 30 years. Yeah. Well, actually, more, we actually got together when I was 24. So we're talking. We're coming in on 40 years of knowing each other. So it, it's kind of extraordinary. Um, so that's good. I recommend that for everybody. Um, and uh, people always go, what's the what's the, what's the magic? I, the, the the magic. It, it, the best I can the best I can um, frame it is it's very much like recovery. If you feel today excited and good about it and stay with that, the probability is you're going to feel that way tomorrow. Mm. So whatever it was at the beginning, if that was enough to really feel like something, if I feel like this about this person indefinitely, that I will be fine. 
then just take it one day at a time after that one mm. day at a time not that there won't be bad days there will be but that that passion attraction fittedness whatever that thing is you know it's kind of a magical ingredient the the relationship uh, and we could do a whole pod on that uh, refer you all to interpersonal neurobiology alan shore peter fonagy these guys amazing information coming in on how that works now but uh, I, I would say focus there but in terms of what i'm excited about um i i'm i'm excited about creating new things and i've not been able to do that lately uh i'm excited about public speaking i didn't mm. realize how much i like public speaking and communicating to large crowds until it was all taken away from me uh i had a, a extensive speaking schedule set up for the summer that has just passed us and when that went away it, it made me depressed yeah, me I really too. Felt a, no, a I'm loss. with you. Yeah. Listen, yeah. I I, dro- I I stopped working with uh, a lot of clients because all of a sudden I was doing all these speaking gigs and it mm-hmm. pays well. It's fun. They treat you well. It's you're in and out and you can make impact and you can help people. Exactly. And then it just went, yeah. you know, yeah. so you're excited That's what to me. when you say you, you're you you're not really creating anything right now. What would you like to be creating towards? I've got a million ideas and, and they just the the. The it's it's really kind of all for TV and TV is just sort of not open for business. And um, I, I mean, I, I on the medical side, I've got a woman named Nicole Angemi, who's a pathology tech. I've been trying She's to on your podcast, something. isn't she? She has been. I've yeah. been trying to develop something for her forever and I, I, I can't push it through and I don't know why. On the uh, mental health side, I'd like to revisit maybe not celebrity rehab or something like that to really explore. Maybe you and I could do something. Yeah. Where we explore the the new the new, the way treatment is done now. It's different. It's different than when we do celebrity rehabs. A lot of different issues in there now that just weren't there back then, and it's different and it's new, and the issues are different. Mm-hmm. And there are certainly, if we do celebrity, there are plenty you you know that could use our help. And you know, um, you know what could be interesting too is getting some people who have depressive disorders or aren't necessarily but but listen i know there's a scale on the spectrum and we got to make well, sure no, that what i'm what i'm what i'm yeah. sighing about is you have to you have to factor in the television and that's the hard part you know you and i are fascinated by all this and for us it would be endlessly interesting but that's not tv you, somebody has to figure out the tv part of that and that's the whatever you know well the there's got to be like there's got to be the housewife who is hoarding currently there's got to be like i'm just saying the the range of issues right especially with covid Mm-hmm. And mental health. You know, I always viewed mental health as this huge umbrella. We all fit inside of it, just like physical health. And there's all these little pockets all throughout it, right? And I think there's just so many struggles that are really interesting that yes. haven't quite been brought to light yet, you know? But listen, oh my you, God, yes. You you're you're the mastermind behind celebrity rehab and all of that. So I mean, yeah, you want me to do something with you, call me up, I'm down. All right. Well, let's think about it. We'll, we'll yeah. think about think about you know. I mean, the things that are um, it'd be a really interesting exploration. The things that are people are deeply uh, in, enraptured by now are issues of race and gender. Mm. And maybe we could fold in something about mental health and race and gender. And now we got kind of an interesting mix, and we kind of figure out what that is. I, mean, I don't know. I'm not sure yet, but uh, those are topics that I feel like would be ways of getting into this that would be compelling for people. What was your greatest success uh, or what gets you the most excited when you think back to celebrity rehab? Is there any story where you're like, this has made it all worth it? Well, two things. 
One is the individual stories, people like Jenny Ketchum, who was Penny Flame, porn star, drug addict, sex addict, who's now a medical medical MSW, medical mm. social worker, married with kids, and consummate professional. That you see that that those kinds of transformations are why I got into the field of addiction. I saw that happen and I was like, what is that? How yeah. does that happen? I want to be a part of it. And that was 1983. And so I've since then sort of learned how to be a part of it. Jenny's a great example of it. The other thing, which was an unknown in terms of the uh, production, which was um, when we got involved with season one, I thought, all right, here we go. I, I am scared that this is going to hurt these people. It's going to impact them mm. adversely. I, so every day, a group particularly, if you guys okay, the camera's bothering you, you feel good about what's happening. They'd always go, yeah, 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 yeah. And and they got kind of frustrated with me saying that because every day I was so anxious that that what we were doing was somehow not okay because we'd never been done before. And finally, Mary Carey, who was a, was a porn star, looks at me and she goes, uh, "Drew, I'm just just about everything on camera. I understand what this is to do this in front of a camera." And I thought, "Oh, right, these guys know cameras. They know <laughs> being public with things, and they've made a choice to do this." Now, here's the piece that that that's sort of the comedy side. The gratitude side is pretty much every person that came in, came in to screw with us, get paid, get on TV, maybe get a little treatment. That's it. They came in to mess things up. And one virtually 100% of them, I can think of two cases now where it wasn't quite where I wanted it to be, but essentially 100% of the cases, say 98% of the cases, they all went from resistant and, and sort of antisocial to, oh my goodness, you guys are quite serious about this. Oh my goodness, I'm benefiting from this. Oh my goodness, I want to share this with people and be an example for other people so they can get access to things like this. That was a godsend. That was a miracle to me. And it when every group went through the same transformation. So so I learned early, I didn't know this. I didn't know at first if we would see it every group, but when I saw it in the second group, I thought, oh, we, this is probably going to happen all over and happen with every group. And why Which did was, it stop? Uh, why why did celebrity rehab stop? Um, I we did. Yeah, I I don't know. I'm not. I wasn't engaged with the television. There's a whole new executive team in there right now. And oftentimes, what happens when the television executive staff turns over? It's like that was their thing, and now we're going to do our thing. We can't do the same thing. Um, but there was another piece. I think as I look back. Which is everyone was saying, you know, why don't why do they have to be celebrities? Why can't you treat regular people? I said, that's that's what I do. I'll happily treat regular people. So our last season was simply called rehab, and they were it was a very challenging group. And I'll use the word sick again. They really had a lot of stuff going on, and they did rather well. A lot of them are doing extremely well right now. But uh, we did it, and it was a great season, and nobody watched, and that was sort of it. That was sort of the end of it because. Uh, I don't think they wanted to pay for the celebrities and things. And mm. they just, it just wasn't, I don't know. You know, I found there's this voice, there's this voice, even, you know, the treatment center I run where, you know, like insurance will pay for people to attend the full group, both groups for PHP. They need to attend the six hours. There's a group of people that, and I say, unless you attend all groups, you can't go because insurance doesn't cover it. And there's always like a very small percent that says, um, you just want our money. And I'm like, oh, yeah, no, yeah. I just don't want to pay for your treatment. But in everything, right, there's always this voice. And it sounds like for whatever reason, that voice got loud of why don't you do everyday people? Yeah. And, yeah. and the reality was because people don't want to see that. 
you know? Well, we didn't know that, but we learned that. Uh, and, I, and I'm delighted to treat everybody. I don't, I have no affinity for treating celebrities. I, 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 no, I me neither. don't Not really anymore. like it. Yeah, I, I never really did. I would have done plenty of it, but I, here's the, here's the deal about treating celebrity. No different than everybody else, must be treated exactly the same as everybody else, and getting them to fall in line with everybody else, a big pain in the ass and tough for them. And uh, and oftentimes, because they're drug addicts, they will look for uh, easier, kinder, softer ways of doing it and will find people that gratify their celebrityness. And it goes very, very poorly when you do that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, listen, man, I really appreciate connecting with you and Susan behind the scenes um, <laughs> and would love to keep it going uh, and connect more in the future. And yeah, well, look, the idea is you I, I feel that you would agree with me that the goal is to do good. To use yeah. these medium to do good, to make a change, to do bring awareness, and uh, you know, again, homelessness is the other big topic that you know. I know probably you look out your window, you're looking at right now, uh, yeah. And and maybe there's ways in that that drives me crazy, and maybe there are ways into that as well. Well, so. I'll tell you what I love, and and I did it in entertainment for years, and everyone on the podcast has heard this so many times, so they're sick of me saying it. But I got sick of working with entertainers, mm-hmm. and so I started going to Iraq to refugee camps alone. In Kurdistan, where we're, and it was very difficult, very, very difficult. But I was like, this is what I'm going to do. But I love to reinvent. I love seeing people reinvent. And it's why I'm in this career and it's why I'm passionate about it. Is addiction and mental health is one of those things where within a day or two, you can see significant um, their affect changes, their yeah. light changes. And I just, selfishly, that's what I love to see. So anything I can do to do that, I'm Yeah, I'm it, it's, it, I think I feel the same way. Again, like I said, when I first, I didn't train for addiction medicine. There was no addiction medicine when I got going. But I was working at a psychiatric hospital as an internist, and I saw that what you're talking about. And I was like, well, I, I certainly can't do that in general medicine. What is that? I'd like to know what that was. And I uh, got very into it. Well, Dr. Drew, thanks for coming on Always Evolving. All right, man, appreciate it. Thank you. If you want to keep getting Always Evolving podcasts, make sure to click to subscribe, rate, and review. Stay connected to me, Coach Mike Bear, on all social media platforms. And also Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific time, I have our empowerment group. They're free, free to join. And also you can just text me if you'd like to join the group. And that's 310-984-1858. And in the meantime, keep it magical. The Always Evolving with Coach Mike Bear podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not intended as a replacement or substitution for any professional, medical, financial, legal, or other advice, diagnosis, or treatment. This podcast does not constitute the practice of medicine, or any other professional service. The use of any information provided during this podcast is at the listener's own risk. For medical or other advice appropriate to your specific situation, please consult a physician or other trained professionals.